Welcome to the Details of Life with Marcus Wilson. I am your host, Marcus Wilson. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a great episode coming up here for you. Georgia Tech men's basketball coach, Josh Pastner. You talk about high-level basketball. I mean, this guy was a player coach at Arizona. So, you know, exactly what that means. He was a player and he was coaching on that 97 really good Arizona team that won the national championship. Jason Terry, Miles Simon, uh, Michael Dickerson, uh, Mike Bibby. He was coaching those guys as a player. And then, you know, continued on, became an assistant in Arizona, went to Memphis. Well, first of all, let's not skip over the fact that he was an assistant under the great Lute Olson. Went to Memphis as an assistant under the great John Calipari. Took over the job there at age 32. Won coach of the year in that conference. Had some success there. Went on from Memphis. And he's now the head coach at Georgia Tech. So he hasn't been any mid-majors. I mean, it's high-level basketball across the board with him. And I'll say this, and you'll pick up from this. He's a really nice, genuine guy. It sounds like a normal statement, like people should be that way, but I'm telling you, in college basketball, egos run really big. You know, egos run really big, and he doesn't have one. Really cool, down-to-earth type of guy, and I think you're going to learn a lot. We talked about all those things I just talked about, um, coaching under Lute Olsen, Calipari. What, what was that like, the transition when Calipari left, trying to, you know, uphold that high standard that – that Calipari had when he was there and what it's been like to try to rebuild a Georgia Tech program in the ACC. They just finished fifth this year. A lot of people don't realize how good they were this year. So a lot of good things, a lot of good nuggets. So let's go ahead and just chime in with Georgia Tech head coach, Josh Pastor. Like I just prefaced today, we have head coach of Georgia Tech men's basketball, Coach Josh Pastner, how are you doing, Coach? I'm doing well, Marcus. Hope you're well. Hope you and your family are, are staying safe and well. And uh, I wish everyone, you know, out there staying safe and well and healthy. And I just want to give a quick shout out to all the first responders, healthcare workers, and um, anyone that's keeping society going in this time period. So uh, you all are true heroes. Just a great shout out from, from my standpoint and, and the Georgia Tech men's basketball. Just want to say a big thank you to everybody. It's a good point, man. Thank you for doing that. It's a lot of people out there making our lives a lot easier right now. So cool. Exactly right. Um, So we'll dive right in. You know, we're going to cover a lot, but I want to take it back to the beginning. You know, I was doing some research on you when I was preparing for this and rumor has it that you were doing scouting reports at the age of 13 in the Houston area of local high school players and around the age of 16 or 17, you were already coaching AAU basketball. Is that true? Yeah, Marcus, you know, when I was, um, um, I remember when I was in fifth grade, I was watching the Celtics versus the Lakers on one of those national networks. And I remember turning to my father and saying, I, I want to stay in the game of basketball the rest of my life. But if you, I, I said, if I couldn't play in the NBA, the next best thing I felt was coaching because you stayed in the adrenaline rush in a sense. You could, you could affect winning and losing in a, in a way. Um, and so kept you in the game. And I remember from then I really put a lot of my energies towards that. Yes, I still worked hard as a basketball player and I did all I could because I wanted to play in the NBA, but uh, I also recognized based on my parents' height and athletic genes they, they, they gave to me, I probably wasn't going to get to that next level, but to that level of, at that highest level there. So I put a lot of my energies towards coaching and you're right. We, um, uh, my dad had started a, a, a program called the Houston hoops down in Houston. And, um, 
um, and it was a, uh, uh, you know, one of the better AOU programs. It's become one of the better AOU programs in the country. Um, but that time he, you know, when I was 13 and playing on the team, while the, our game was done, like at the AAU nationals and all the players went back to the, went back to the room to go to the mall or just hang out. I would stay at the gym and sit in the gym and just watch prospects all day long at 13 years of age. And I remember then, you know, compiling a database of players' names at 13 and under and sending that out all across the country. And, and I called it Josh Pastor scouting service and uh, for 13 year olds and I did it for 14 year olds and I did it for 15 year olds. And so um, I love being around the gym. I love being in a gym rat, just, you know, watching players play. And then, um, and that's why in recruiting, I don't mind sitting at gym from eight in the morning to eight at night or 10 at night, even watching players that we're not able to recruit or, or I just like watching basketball. I love watching the game of basketball. And so, uh, but then I, and then when I was uh, 17 and 18 and 19, I started coaching the Houston hoops. I actually was coaching when guys were, you know, my age and, um, and so tremendous, both boys and girls, I did both boys and girls. So tremendous opportunities. Um, even when you're at that time period, when I was being a head coach with the Houston hoops, I can remember many mistakes I'd made as a head coach. Cause you're, you know, when you're in that position and you're running a program and you're making decisions, um, I still remember things where I made mistakes on that I still take to this day that I try not to make the same mistake, just little things coming out of timeouts, um, just all types of little type of details. So um, I was very fortunate to have those type of experiences and opportunities early. Man, that's, that's a heck of a story. First of all, that you knew at that young of an age what you wanted to do and you were already acting on it, not just tweeting about it, which tweeting wasn't around back then, but you were actually like doing your own scouting report. And I know you, I, Houston Hoops is, for anybody who is in the basketball world, they know how good Houston Hoops is, Okafor. Plenty of NBA players have come out of there. And I coached – I remember I, I, Mecca Okafor and all those guys. I was coaching those guys at that time. And um, um, and when you talk about – you know, I, I tell this to, to people all the time. I love my job. Like, I love being a head coach. I love – like, I don't take a day for granted of being the head coach at a Georgia Tech, uh, being – you know, had the opportunity to be the head coach at Memphis. Uh, you know, Marcus, I've, I've, I'm, if there's ever anyone that recognizes, I recognize it, that I was very, very lucky, you know, because I was at the right place at the right time to get my first head job uh, at Memphis. Um, and, and we can talk about how all that happened. But my point is, is I love, I love my job. I love what I do. I wake up every day excited with enthusiasm. And you're right, not you know, life's short. So anything that you're doing, you want to do with great passion. I just have a great passion on, on, on what I do. And um, I'm very thankful that I've had the opportunities to do that. Well, that's clear because you're, you've always been one of the best recruiters in the country. And I'm sure that passion and that energy is one of the reasons why you've been able to have great relationships with, you know, guys that you're out recruiting. And so you're right, we will get to that. But I want to, you know, kind of take it step by step. And so how did you get your, I know you were a player at Arizona, but maybe some people didn't know that, but how did you get your break and uh, who gave you your break into coaching? And then also if you can kind of take us from there to how you landed to where you are now. Yeah. When I was a senior in high school, I actually wrote a letter to every single division one, division two, II, division three, NAIA division one and NAIA division two schools in America, over a thousand personal handwritten letters I sent to, to, to every school in America. Um, and one of the schools that it caught the attention was Coach Lute Olson at, at the University of Arizona. 
you know, I put in the letter there that I was a good player in my mind. I was a hard worker, et cetera, et cetera. And Coach Olson looked at the letter and probably said he can work the guys out, watch film, and it won't count against the time limit with the NCAA rules. He can organize, you know, extra shooting sessions and everything else at night. And He knows the game as well as any, any of our coaches. I think he'll be a, a head coach in the NBA. He's got a good feel for the game, a good knowledge, and he wants to learn. You may think Arizona freshman Josh Pastor just sits there quietly on the bench, earning his scholarship and waiting for his chance to play. Well, in reality, this 19-year-old from Kingwood, Texas, has come to Arizona to learn to become a coach. Well, no one I want to learn to be a coach. I've always want to have a chance to learn under uh, one of the best in the country, and that is Lute Olson. And so thank, thank goodness, you know, for Coach Olson. I mean, you know, the opportunity that he gave me, I just, you know, it's, I can't even put words into it to describe the opportunity that, that he allowed me. And my freshman year, when I was at the University of Arizona, was when we won the national championship, uh, the 1997 national championship. Uh, we beat Kentucky in the, in the title game. We beat three, we're the only team ever to beat three one seeds along the way. We beat Kansas. North Carolina and Kentucky along the way. So you had a heck of a team that year. I remember that. I think it was was the Final Four Indianapolis that year. It was in Indianapolis in 1997. We had we had our guard play was just exceptional. Mike Bibby, uh, Miles Simon, uh, Michael Dickerson, Perry, Michael yep. Dickerson. Three Jason of those four were three of those four guys were lottery picks, and, and Miles Simon was most outstanding player in a second round pick. So he had some great guards. That's my theory. Guard plays everything. You got good guards, you got a better chance to win. And our Arizona teams had some great guards. And so, but anyway, I knew I wanted to coach Marcus. And um, I was there at Arizona. Uh, I was able to get my bachelor's and master's there. I worked my way up and was able to stay on, you know, at that time as an undergraduate assistant coach, then as the video coordinator. Uh, and then, you know, I just kept trying to work my way up. And then I got a great break by Coach Olson. Um, gave me an opportunity to, to move up the ladder and stay on as an assistant coach there at the University of Arizona. And that's kind of where I got the break. So um, to, to be able to move into that level. And look, like I said, I, I, I skipped a lot of steps to be able to be an assistant coach at, that, at Arizona. I mean, it's, a, it's a, one of the elite schools to be with the, one of the elite coaches. And so um, I, I recognize that. I get that. I know that. And so now a door open, I had to take advantage of it um, yeah. and, and work hard at it. But, uh, um, but I was very fortunate. So Coach Olson gave me that break, that opportunity to allow me to be at that at that program and then allow me to work my way up the up the ladder. And so then after that, you were at Arizona. And then if I'm if I'm correct, then you went to Memphis as an assistant. Yeah. Yeah, so I went to Memphis. So I was an assistant for at Arizona for a long time. And then um, uh, I got uh, Coach John Calipari had lost an assistant or two to head jobs. And he had reached out to me with um, uh, seeing if I wanted to have a chance to go with him. And I thought, you know, obviously I couldn't say no at the time. I mean, you're just the opportunity to go with Coach Calipari and to say that you've learned. I've learned under Coach Olson and then to learn under Coach Calipari. And, um, and so I was there an assistant with, uh, with Coach Cal. I love being with Coach Cal as well. An incredible coach, one of the great coaches in the history of the game as well. Um, uh, obviously, you know, his success speaks for itself. Uh, so I was an assistant with him. And then he got the Kentucky job. And I was all set and planned and ready to go to Kentucky with Coach Calipari. And I was excited about that opportunity. 
to go with Coach Calipari to Kentucky. I was, ex and not for one second, Marcus, was I thinking about being the head coach at Memphis. The, John Calipari had, in, a, in, his, in his final four years at Memphis, had won more games in a four-year four stretch than, and than anyone else in the history of the NCAA. More than John Wooden, Bobby Knight, Coach K, doesn't, he, nobody won more than he did in that four years. So who wanted to follow this guy? You know what I mean? And so nobody did. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows him. And so, because people would call me during the season and be like, man, what's it like working for Calipari? I said, let me just tell you this. If this guy ever leaves Memphis, whoever follows him is a real crazy guy. Because what are you doing? And so I was excited to go to Kentucky, not thinking one second about being the head coach at Memphis. And then, and then obviously they had to just, they had to hire somebody and nobody wanted to follow John Calipari. They could not hire a coach. I just happened to be the last man standing, Marcus. I was literally the last man standing. And uh, I got an opportunity by the athletic director there, R.C. Johnson, who gave me a chance to be the head coach. And, um, and again, Marcus, I, to be able to skip the steps. I mean, I skipped a lot of steps to be able to be an assistant at Arizona and then to be an assistant at Memphis, but then get the head job at Memphis. Um, like, again, I recognize that, that, that people were way more qualified, way more qualified than me to be the head coach at Memphis. Um, and so, I, I, again, I got a door that opened for me. I was very fortunate, right place, right time, got lucky. The door opened, then it was on me to take advantage of that opportunity. And, um, um, and then I was there for seven years, uh, um, you know, and I loved all seven years at Memphis. We, had a, we, we won a lot of games, had great success. You know, we won about 70% of our games. When you compare that to 95% of the previous four years, people are like, what's wrong with you? You're not winning enough. Right. Like, usually, right. you know, Marcus, 70%, you get a statue built of you. you know yeah. I mean? yeah, that's, so that's top level. So when you're being compared to 95% those last four years, you know, but then I had an opportunity because of this, because of the chance I had at Memphis, then I had the opportunity to become the head coach at Georgia Tech and uh, coach in the ACC, one of the, you know, the best league in, the, in, in, in all of college basketball. And uh, again, just to just to have that 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 opportunity has just been a, it's been just I, I count my lucky stars. I don't take it for granted. There, I mean, there's not a second that goes by like you will never, Marcus. If you, if, I will not complain. I just do not complain. I don't know because I recognize how hard these jobs are, and I recognize the chair that I'm sitting in, and they're just so precious of jobs that you just can't take it for granted. And so. You know, I thank some, you know, the, the, the head coaches who give me the opportunity that I work for, the athletic directors, and, and then having the, the, the great breaks. You know, the, thank the good Lord that he gave me some opportunities to, to put me in, my, in those positions. And I've been at a high level, you know, back from AAU ball to college basketball to assistant coaching to, to you know, being a head coach. I've stayed at a very, very high level. So I've seen a lot and it's been some great experiences along the way. Yeah, you have, I mean, I know you keep saying that you you have skipped some steps. We can only talk for so long today, but I know you were a hard and tireless worker. You were known as one of the best recruiters in the country. And so, but it's also good to hear the gratitude that you have for the job because, you know, you are, like you said, uh, you've had high level jobs and been successful there. So, you know, at age 42, you're still fairly young considering, you know, uh, yeah. basketball terms uh, considered. And so, you know, I remember, so, at age 32, you were a head coach at Memphis, one conference coach of the year there, had some good years, like you said. Five, six years later, because I'm from the Midwest, so I was from, I'm from Indiana, and I was living in Evansville, so I followed 
um, sure. Memphis quite a bit. And I remember those last couple of years, specifically that last year, there was a lot of pressure on you to win. Our fan base was probably really tough on you. And so, you know, here you are now, 38, around 37, 38, still a young man, married, trying to, you know, work on your family, trying to recruit, handling all this pressure. How did you balance all that? And was there anything that you learned along the way that you felt helped you grow or made you better today? Yeah, great question, Marcus. You know, here a couple of things, and you know from being in the Midwest there, the history of Memphis basketball, and, 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 and you've got to experience it to fully understand it, but it's like being the coach of the New York Yankees or the Green Bay Packers, or, you know, it, but in a 50-mile radius, if that makes sense. It might not have the national, but in that 50-mile radius, basketball in that city is the whole DNA of that city. Um, and, and it's just it's so important. Um, uh, to the fabric of that city of, uh, is, is basketball and, and Memphis basketball, the University of Memphis. So the, the expectations to win were at a very, very high level. Um, and yes, the fans were on me. Um, but, I, but I also told people I appreciated that. So many people, you know, because the way I looked at it, that the second when people aren't frustrated when you lose a game or not having the success, then there becomes people don't care. The care factor at Memphis was so high. And so, I, again, another thing I didn't take for granted um, um, in, that, in that area of, of just understanding that the fans were passionate. They loved everything about the, about the program. And so, you know, what happens is you can stay at a place and you can kind of understand there's, you know, there's the, 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 the pressures, you know, swelling a little bit. And I don't even call it pressure. I, it's, it's more just the expectations in a sense. And um, and then when the job opened at Georgia Tech and I had an opportunity to come to Georgia Tech, I just thought, man, I've been at Memphis trying to maintain it at such a high level following Coach Calipari. Like I tell people, you don't take winning for granted. Winning is hard. Even one win is hard. And, and, so, and so when you win, um, I would not take things for granted in a sense that, that I, man, I just enjoyed that. But what I would do is after a loss, man, it would eat at me. Like you wouldn't believe it would just because I felt I let the city down. I let the players down. I let the, uh, the university or institute down. I have gotten better about understanding if, And I know this is a simple saying, but simplicity is powerful, literally taking it one day at a time. And if I could go back to myself when I first got the job at Memphis and really just ingrain those words into my mind and, and, and just understood it one day at a time. Again, we had really good success. But, but understanding one day at a time, um, uh, things will usually work itself out. And, uh, um, and I also think another big thing, Marcus, is alignment. What I learned from my time there is, is alignment. For, for, the, for the success that you need to have as the head coach, everybody around you, assistant coaches, managers, players, needs to be aligned. If, you're not a, if everyone's not a, aligned, you can have – breakdowns and maybe you don't have that success. I really believe my alignment, I didn't do a good enough job when I was at Memphis with alignment. You know, I would change our system maybe a year here, a year there, and offensively, we were always good defensively, but maybe offensively I wasn't as good in some areas that I, we should have been because I was changing too much. Um, as much as we won, I look back, we probably could even won more. If I was, you know, if I knew what I knew now, back then. And so, but that's part, as you know, Marcus, part of the continuation of maturation of just continuing to learn and grow as a human being to be better where you are today than you were in the past. Yeah, man, you, you just dropped a lot of gems right there. I will double down on what you said about Memphis because Memphis football 
has picked up in recent years. But back then, Memphis basketball was everything, right? Everything. You know, and so I, I do know that. And I, and I told, and I told, it brought everyone together in that city. It didn't matter your race, um, your your financial well-being, your sexuality, um, uh, gender. It didn't matter. The city rallied around. That's what made it so special. Everyone was. It was. It was a rallying cry in that city. Was around Memphis basketball. It was such a DNA. There's no place like it. It's very hard to explain. And that's why I try to use the examples. And you understand it because you've been in that area. It's sort of like being the coach of the Green Bay Packers in a sense, you know, because it's so much pride of, of the city and of, of what you represent. And so uh, that's how powerful that, that, that Memphis job is. Yeah, man. And, and a couple other things you said that really resonated with me is, you know, the fact that you can look back on that and learn and have some self-reflection and not point fingers. You know, we talk, I know you as a coach, you probably talk to your players about, you know, look at yourself first, stop pointing fingers. And just to see that you're modeling that is, is, is refreshing. So, you know, like you said, you do land at Georgia Tech. You're right. It's either, in my opinion, I'm from, I'm from the Midwest now, the top two, the top two conferences in the country is ACC and Big Ten. It might vary from a year to year, but no doubt, if not the best, one of the top two conferences in America. You land there, first year, finish second in the NIT. Next two years, kind of average results, bringing in your own players. That's, that's to be expected, getting your players uh, in the system. And this year, I don't think a lot of people realize you finished fifth in the ACC, which is tough, you know. And so what, what, what's that process like of building up a culture, building up your program in one of the toughest conferences in America? Yeah, you know, uh, Marcus, uh, um, and, and you're right, and just to talk on self-reflection, I mean, I, I've, you know, you look back at everything and each day as goes by, you, you, you have a chance to really self-reflect and see where could I have gotten better. You know, when you look at all the great leaders, so much of it is about the continuation of learning. You know, you know, you know you've heard it say, people say, when you stop learning, you've kind of stopped growing. So being able to learn. And so, but I also knew when I got the job at Memphis, and I, and I really believe this for all coaches, it's not the first year that's the hardest, it's the second year, because you usually lose a lot of guys, and in the second year, you're bringing in a lot of freshmen, and you're kind of starting from ground zero. And so both years at Memphis and Georgia Tech, my second year was the hardest year because we were very, very young. And, and I really believe the best way to have success, and especially at a school like for us at Georgia Tech, in, in my belief, is, is that you need to get old and stay old. Um, and, and, and trying to get older is the best way of, of, of having the best chance of success. And if I looked at back at like my time at Memphis, even though my second year, we ended up going to the NCAA tournament, but we struggled. And my second year here at Georgia Tech, we struggled. We, were, we had ups and downs, but both years we were very, very young. And, um, and that's just part of it. I mean, that's just part of it. And so, and then all of a sudden you start getting a little bit better the next year because you start getting older and the guys have been back into your system or coming back. And that's just a, the, the pure maturation of, of trying to continue to have the program go in the direction that you want it. And then this past year, we got the fifth place by ourselves. Um, that, that we did things that within ACC play that hadn't been done at Georgia Tech since like the mid nineties. So we did a lot of positives. Uh, our guys just played their tails off. Um, my assistant coaches, my staff was just phenomenal with their development. And I think, you know, again, we're, we're, uh, you know, you got to get, you got to get the ball to bounce your way as well, too. When you're depend when you're sitting there with 18 to 23 year olds, depending on that individual to make or make or miss a shot, you know, both whether defensively or offensively, um, you know, you got to get a little breaks your way along the way as well, too. So, um, 
Uh, we were fortunate. We shot the ball better this year. Um, we, 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 we were able to score the ball better. You know, one of the things uh, in our second year, both at Memphis and here at Georgia Tech, the hardest thing to coach is when you can't score. And both years when you have a young team, we were really struggling to score. And, um, and so that's part of, the, part of the deal that makes it tough in college. In, in any level of basketball, when you can't score, you can design any play you want. But in the end, it's putting the ball in the basket. So, um, but we guys were really, you know, we had a great year this year. Now, we're older again next year. So we got to continue to move in the right direction, build on our, our momentum. We're, we're, again, we're going to have to get a little lucky along the way. We're, we're not going to be a juggernaut where we're just going to over-talent or overwhelm anyone. We're going to have to be really good. And another big key is, Marcus, we're going to have to stay healthy. As, as, as we all know in, in sports, you know, staying healthy, especially with your key guys, is part of a solution in order to have success. No, you're exactly right. And I, I know how hard it is to build up a program. And like you kind of were talking about it, but that second year, you're right. Those are those are your guys. Those that's those are the freshmen you went out and recruited. And so now here and this year, the, the the guys you brought in are now upperclassmen. And so I think that's why we're seeing the success. And and so obviously, I think you're going to have some more continued success in the future. But after the last game, again, you know, I, I do my research, coach. And so after the last game, I saw that um, you show some emotion with your guys. You're not always a, a, no. a overly emotional type of guy. I mean, passionate but not like, you know, showing emotion. So what was going on in your mind and your, what were you thinking and feeling at that time that it caused you to show that emotion with your guys? Yeah. You know, well, first of all, you know, and, and you know, in athletics, when you're, there's, there's nothing like coaching or being around a team. Um, you just, you're, you know, you're around your, you're around your guys, your, your program, the players, the staff more than you are with your immediate family, like with your wife and kids in a sense, you know, I mean, you're just, the time you spend is, is, um, good, bad, or indifferent is with those guys. I mean, with your team, and 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 so you just create this bond, and 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 you go through highs and lows together. It's it's like it's a family. Uh, days when you're in your family, you're upset with with your siblings in a sense, and and but you're always loving them. And I remember after my our first year at Georgia Tech, the night before the the, the night before we played the NIT championship game. Our, those guys and 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 they played so hard for us. They played. They left everything out on the floor, and I knew it was our last game. I knew it was our last game of the night, and that was the first time I ever got emotional with the team. And I didn't show it to our guys. I was in the film session, and man, I had to stay in strong the night before. We were in New York, and after they left, I remember I broke down because man, I knew it was going to be our last night with that group, and I was and I felt I was I had a set because I loved. You know, I love all of our teams, but you knew it was a finality. That was it. Because we had that ban with the postseason where we weren't going to be able to play in the postseason tournament um, with the ACC tournament that, um, that we were, that I knew was our last game. And for our guys to have played so hard and to have fought and just played their tails off, knowing that there wasn't going to be an end result past that game. It's a nine-point victory for the Yellow Jackets. And Jose Alvarado leading his team with 19. Points on the night. It was it was something that was just an emotional buildup. That man, you, these guys left everything they had on the floor for us as a program, and uh, and so you get a little emotional about that because that's the last time you know that you're with that group. Uh, there is no tomorrow in a sense of another game, and so that being said, that's why I got emotional in the locker room just because those guys played so hard for so long and be able to achieve some things that we were able to achieve that hadn't been done at Georgia Tech since, like I said, since the mid-90s.
I think that goes to show that the culture is is right right now. And the reason I say that, because even just me coaching AAU and a lot of people who follow AAU, once teams don't qualify for the Peace Jam, they're just – or yeah. once a team – once the NFL team doesn't qualify for the playoffs or once people start feel, realize, feeling like they don't have as much to play for, you start seeing bad basketball. So for you guys to play that hard and to give your all, knowing that that was it, uh, man, that, that says a lot about you and your coaching staff and what the culture is right now. So, you know, I know every year the goal is to win, win championships, probably an ACC championship and then a national championship. But besides winning championships, does your team, uh, does your, as a staff, do you have other goals for your team? And if so, what are they? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, look, uh, Marcus, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're in sports because everyone's competitive. There's a, there, there is a reason for a scoreboard up there. You know, there is a winner and a loser at the end of the game. Um, and I don't care if it's AAU, high school, middle school, or the NBA. I mean, that's what makes sports fun. I mean, it's the, it's the best reality TV because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, you, you just you don't know. Every game is unique. It's just its own deal. And, 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 you're, and you're not dealing with robots and you can't fake it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just there's, it's such a game of energy. So, um, um, so yes, you want to win the national championship. You want to win ACC championships. You want to win every game that you play. But two things. One, I, we, we really focused on like for this season. And I know, again, it's kind of an, just a, everyone kind of says it. Uh, but you got to really, you got to, it's easier said than actually be done. It's just getting better. And, and, you know, cause again, you can say, well, are you getting better? But if the end result's not a win, only you as a coach, cause the fans aren't going to might not see it. Your bosses might not see it, but you as a coach know if you're getting better. And, and that's, and sometimes you can't control the winnings and losses. It's just, like I said, you're dealing on 18 to 23 year olds, or if you're an AAU ball, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds to make shots. Um, so are you getting better? And that's a big thing that we really focused on this year. And the other thing I think we put a lot of, we put a lot of pride in on things on some stats. Like we try to have 60% of our made field goals assisted. I think that's really important to us because that means the ball's being shared and moved. We've done a good job at my time at Memphis and at Georgia tech on, I always like to say our the, the people ask, well, who's your go-to man? I says, we don't have a go-to man. It's the open man is our go-to man. And so I'm probably a little more of an equal opportunity offense. I've always been like that. And um, so, you know, we, little goals like that, we'll talk, obviously you have defensive goals, you've got offensive goals, things with defensive and offensive rebounding. But in the end, uh, as a coach, um, I don't, you know, when you're in the program, the, the thing that you want to see is, are you getting better? And are you improving? And, and, you, and only you, you and your staff can recognize that. Because you can be getting better and you can lose and still be getting better. It's just sometimes maybe you don't just have enough talent or sometimes the ball's just not going your way or you've had an injury or two, but you're getting better. And so that's what you're trying to have the piece as a coach. As you know, even I don't care what level it is, like I said, that's a piece that you want to have as a coach that you can see that your team is moving in the right direction and they're getting better regardless of the outcome of the game. Yeah, that's true, and I do like the I do like the sixty percent of assisted field goals, and I and all your teams are 
uh, very good defensive teams. And so I know you probably have some some defensive goals. I know when I was at SLU, one of the things we try to do is get kills, you know, three stops in a row, and we track those. And We so do that, and we do that as well, too. That's a big thing. And, you know, I'm sure when you're at SLU, you, you know, with, with deflections, you're going to be what you're going to emphasize. I mean, you, you as a coach, you can only – you, you can't you can't be great at 50 different things it's you don't there's only a limited time in practice you know what I mean and, and so um, you're going to kind of emphasize and then reinforce and be good at what the three or four things which is important to you as a coach that you want to be really good at and you're just hoping those three or four things are going to get you um, uh, the opportunity to put yourself in a position to be successful and to win some games yeah so speaking of winning games I know next year uh Success breeds success, and it breeds more expectations. So you have five of your top six players returning, played all, over 26 minutes a game last year. So you have some experience coming back. Uh, you only lost James Banks. And so, you know, are there any signees that you're excited about, and what are the expectations for your team going into next year? Yeah, you know, Marcus, we're older next year. Uh, we will continue to get older. Uh, we've got, like you, like you just mentioned, we've got a majority of our core group back. Um, uh, we do have signed three good freshmen. Um, um, uh, but again, they're freshmen, they're good players, but I also temper expectations with freshmen because, um, you know, they are freshmen and we're going to have to do a great job with our staff, which I believe, you know, we haven't got the five-star elite recruit yet. You haven't been able to sign that guy, but what we've done well and we've had to survive on is five-star development. You know, I mean, we've tried to be all about five-star development, just making sure that we get guys better, 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 better. And um, so I like our freshman class that we signed, but again, they're freshmen. So it's going to take a transition period. And, and you know this, I don't care what, what, I don't care what conference it is. There's always a transition from a freshman to go from high school to college. It's just, it's, it's a big jump. Um, we're actively recruiting guys in the portal. This is unpre unprecedented times. There is no recruiting offer on campus. Um, um, you know, with the visits or going to see kids at minimum, at least till May 31st. That's what we know at this point. You can obviously FaceTime, conference call, Zoom, text. So this is new for all of us. And a lot of kids or a lot of recruits, whether in the transfer portal or unsigned high school seniors, and this could possibly go into the effect of, of high school juniors, that people are going to be making decisions um, sight unseen uh, through virtual tours of, of through your admissions office, in a sense, or your athletic programs. Um, and you see that more so now than ever because of the situation. Yeah, so that's a, that, that takes me to my next point. You've always been a good recruiter, and you're trying to bring in more talent to, to continue the success you've already built up. Like this weekend, we should be in these gyms down in uh, Cartersville, Georgia, and all these places in Indianapolis watching all these teams play, but we're not. So as of now, we, we're not going to have as many uh, main events and recruiting events. So do you think that's going to impact you in terms of recruitment and not being able to evaluate as much as you normally would? You know, Marcus, um, I mean, and, and you know this because you're in the profession. I mean, you, you, you can take the top 25 players in the country and you probably don't need to evaluate. You can just say he's an instant impact. He's really good. He's going to be has a chance to be in the pros one day type type deal. You know what I mean? And but for everybody else, evaluate those everybody else. Evaluation matters. You've got to really evaluate that. And it's, it's and I don't use the word recruiting as I'm more evaluating. You've got to make sure that. That, that the player that you're getting is going to be good enough and you need to see them. So what I think is going to happen um, based on the circumstances is you're going to see a lot of really good players slip through the cracks and go to some schools to, that, that maybe would not have gotten these players because they're not going to be seen, if that makes sense. 
It could be more of a regionalized or for, for this year, for this upcoming, you know, for this year, where people could be going to places where it's more regionalized because, you know, again, how do I know about a kid in California? I might know about him, but if I haven't seen him and, you know, you might not, and, and yes, you can watch film and, and, and you, you're going to have to evaluate off film, but, but there's nothing like live in action person really getting a feel of seeing the, that prospect. So um, you're going to do a lot of research and, and calling people and, and, um, and that's kind of where it's at. So I think people are going to slip through the cracks if they don't do anything this summer, because we know we're, we all know we're done through May 31st, I think a lot of young prospects or prospects could get concerned and saying, oh my gosh, you know, we're not going to get seen. I, I don't want to lose. Let me just call this school and say, I'm coming. Do you have a scholarship? I'm taking it. And so because of the concern that they don't want to lose that opportunity without the, without the, the evaluation period. So, um, you know, as you know, it's, it, this is just unprecedented times. And um, um, I just, you know, and everyone's just kind of, you know, everyone's got to follow the lead of, the, of the, 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 the government and the CDC and all the health public officials of, of what to do next. And obviously for our world, the NC2A, and, and, and even for the shoe company tournaments and the offshoot tournaments, you know, they've got to follow the, the CDC guidelines too. So we're all in a holding pattern and just waiting to see what happens. But this is something that's a that's an unprecedented time and you know sort of uh um i i do believe there'll be a lot of guys really good players that will slip through the cracks because of it i totally agree i totally agree that there's probably some kids that really worked in their game all last year and they were going to have breakout summers and may not get a chance to do that and like you said the top four or five star kid players yeah those are good the, it's the other kids that uh i was watching a story about john morant how he was playing behind Zion Williamson and a couple other four-star players. One went to Georgia, one went to South Carolina. Then they all went to their own, they all split teams. Yep. And then John Morant's junior year is when he yep. really got seen, went to Murray State, rest is history. So I worry about kids like that. Well, it's um, like coaching AAU ball. I mean, you just, you have, I mean, you know, everyone gets on about summer basketball. I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, man, it gives so many kids, so many great opportunities to be seen by everyone focuses on the elite top 10, top 15 players in the country. I'm like, they don't need the exposure. It's, it's, it's the other guys who are, who can be really good. Like you mentioned the John Morant's, they need the exposure. They need to be seen by schools to have the opportunities. And the only way to get a mass gathering in that sense of recruiting where a lot of kids can be seen at once is through summer basketball. That's just, it's otherwise you're, you're going to kind of, you know, you're going to be more regionalized based on, going to high schools, which you still want to do that. Um, but summer gives you that opportunity to see a bunch of kids at one location that's, that's effective and efficient at the same time. So we just got to all wait to, you know, see what happens with the, from the CDC and the health officials. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope uh, we all, we all are missing basketball yeah. need our basketball fix. So one more thing about COVID-19 is uh, normally right now, uh, guys would be in the gym, working out, lifting weights on the track, getting better. I worry about the guys who may not have their own self-determination and motivation because uh, normally coaches would be like, hey, this is what your schedule is this week. But how do you see and how are you guys engaging your team during this time that you're not allowed to do some of the stuff you normally would? Well, you know, good question. And, and the other thing, Marcus, like I've had a couple guys who call me, coach, we want to get into the gym. Well, Georgia Tech, you can't go to the gym. You can't get, even get in there to shoot. And as you know, you with the with local health clubs, uh, local gyms, obviously high schools. There's nowhere to go if you don't have a court in your uh, or a basket in your front yard. 
um, because uh, um, there's a lot of states that have actually the, 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 the mayors of the cities have actually had people go and take the rims down at parks because there was too much of a gathering. So, um, you know, people, you know, at least in our sport, I mean, I got the guys, they're itching to get back into the gym. Um, and so you're right. You've got to be very self-motivated. You've got to be unique in a way that you're going to, you know, just by, you know, you, you know, surviving on push-ups and sit-ups, which you can, you know what I mean? And, and trying to be creative as you can doing ball handling drills. Um, uh, but this is what, what I really, and it's also like, I'll give you an example for our guys because our whole school has gone to online classes and you know, everyone's saying, Oh, that'd be great. That'd be, you know, I've had a lot of our guys who's coach, man, I'm ready to get back into the classroom. And I'm going to remind them on that when we get back into the classroom, you know, if they miss a, wait a second, you, you know, so, right. but, but I, I think this is, is, you know, sometimes things get taken away from you that you just take things for granted. And, and, and I think this will be a tremendous wake up call for everyone. And just the littlest of things, just being able to go use a gym and shoot, you know, uh, not taking that for granted. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're all hoping for that. Fingers crossed on that. So, I'm gonna close up here, Coach, and let you get let you get back to your your life. But one of the things I always do on details of life is I usually bring in someone on who's had some level of success and try to figure out what are some of the things that they've done to reach there. So you've obviously coached at a high level: Memphis, Arizona, Georgia Tech, won Coach of the Year in different conferences, um, been through some adverse times in your life, done a lot of good things, and you're still only 42. So are there some things, are there any things that you do, whether it's habits or daily routines or anything that you feel uh, gives you opportunity and helps help separate you from others and, and put you in position for success? Well, you know what, I, I don't know if it separates me, but I'm, I'm a big believer uh, in attitude and, and I'm a real positive guy, Marcus. I mean, life is very short. Um, things go by quick as we all see, even, you know, with all of what's going on with the, with the virus, with COVID-19. So, um, um, you know, it's, it's, everything is, is, you know, life is short, but I'm a very, very positive guy. Um, even when things, are, you know, even when you get punched in the mouth or punched in the gut and you know, not, not literally, but figuratively in a sense, or, or you, you've dealt with adversity, how to find the positive silver lining out of it. Um, and I like to always say, I try to always look at the glass as overflowing, uh, not, ha not half empty or half full, but overflowing. So, you know, for, for me, you know, a lot of it's just more of a, a mindset. I'm very, I'm always looking at a positive, you know, way of life. Um, I think that's really, really important. And, and especially during these times when there can be, you know, um, you know, really tough times to try to find some, some positivity out of even out of anything that you can. And, and, it, and it's, again, it's, it's, I get it. It's easier said than done. It's easy to say, hey, just be positive. But everyone goes through tough times. Um, but you've got to try to remain positive. And I also think, you know, a really good, you know, opportunity to do the best you can to, you know, I, I try to every day work out um, because more so than the physical health, I think it really allows you to be good mentally. Um, and when I say good mentally, it allows you to be a clear thinker, um, uh, not let little things maybe bother you, you know, being able to take care of yourself the best that you can. And whether that's whatever that may be, whether that's going for a walk or some form of physical activity to try to keep you as good as it is physically, it's probably even more important for you mentally. So you can always stay clear in, in times uh, because again, life is short. Every breath is a gift. I tell people every breath is a gift. Um, you know, every heart beats a gift. Um, and you know, when you, ha when you have your health and you 
in this time, this day and age, when you have your health, you really are a true billionaire when you really have your health because nothing else matters. You're exactly right. And you were talking about attitude. And uh, one of my friends told me when I was going through a tough time a few years back, he said, Marcus, the mind can be a prison or a playground. It's your yep. choice. And so, you know, it sounds like you embrace that positive attitude. So coach, thank you so much for spending this much time with me and being this transparent about your career and looking forward to seeing you back on the sidelines and giving that, that, that energy and that positive attitude that we need leading our youth uh, through sports. So I appreciate you and uh, good luck to you this summer and, and, and next year. Thanks, Marcus. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Pastner, for coming on and sharing all that knowledge with us. You know, I said this in, in the beginning, the introduction, you know, it, it, there's a lot of egos out there and it's been really interesting to see. There's some people I reach out to and they just kind of brush me off. You know, they're like, oh, this is too small time. He's only getting 1,000, 2,000 views. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I admit I'm no Stephen A. Smith. I'm just I'm just me. I'm an analyst for the Missouri Valley Conference, you know, but there's guys like Josh Pastner that big time coach, power five conference. And I'm telling you, I emailed the guy. And I'm thinking, okay, he'll email me back in the next day or two. I mean, he emailed me back in 15 minutes. I emailed him back. He emailed me back. This whole deal was done in about 35 minutes. That doesn't happen at that level. I'm trying to tell you guys. So I really want to just give a shout out to him and thank him for just being a normal guy. And speaking of a normal guy, you know, my next guest, head coach of Indiana State men's basketball, Greg Lansing. And this is a good friend of mine again. Um, just a really cool guy. Like, you know, you, you hear when people say, um, he, he seems like a guy that would just be cool to go have a beer with. That's Greg Lansing. Just as cool as they come, cool as a cucumber, nothing pretentious about him, treats everybody well. Josh Pastner and Coach Lansing have this same characteristic of treating the CEO like the janitor and the janitor like the CEO. Any of you who know me know I'm big into that, how you treat people that are perceived to be less than you. They don't have, you know, any pretentiousness. So, you're going to enjoy that. And the guy just has a wealth of knowledge. I mean, he's been, uh, you know, coach at Indiana State, Iowa, been doing this a while, won championships. And so, you know, I think you're really going to enjoy it, especially, you know, some of you guys who know me from the Missouri Valley Conference. This is an MVC coach taking it back there for you guys to kind of give you some insight on that. So hopefully you tune in and continue to support. That's all we can do. We all want to get better, right? We all want to get better. And to, learn, to get better, you got to study the details. Because greatness is in the details, guys. That's right. You already knew that was coming. Like, subscribe, share. Appreciate you guys' support. God bless. Peace.